Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have hit that time of the year, folks. The start of the tennis season officially underway, of course, on the ATP WTA Tours. We have action currently underway in Australia. Of course, we just finished up Winter Nationals on the junior circuit here in the United States. But, of course, the thing on all of our minds here at Cracked Rackets, the start of the college tennis season very nearly upon us. And before we let that season begin, we have some business to finish up here at Cracked Rackets. We have to wrap up our College Contender Series, breaking down our top 10 men's and women's teams entering the 2021 season of course hopefully all of you listeners have followed along with us as we've broken down teams 10 through number four in our preseason rankings if you'd like to hear more about those teams you can catch up on every podcast on our website crackrackets.com of course you can also read the work of Matt Stachowiak John Parsons as they break down each team in additional depth hopefully by the time you're listening to this you'll be able to hear from the head coaches of not only all of our top 10 uh preseason teams here entering 22 but of course all of the power five men's and women's head coaches from across the country but of course on today's podcast we continue our top 10 women's countdown getting to the number three team in our preseason rankings the university of north carolina and of course joining me on today's podcast as he has throughout the course of this college contender series is a returning champion here to our crack racket shows of course you probably know him best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog. His stats blowing up the college tennis Twitter universe. Of course, you also know him as a writer for our website, CrackRackets.com. It's my friend John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gruskin. Um, had a really nice you know, holiday. I was in Hawaii. Oh, um, so you, you see were Steve in Weissman? Florida. No. Okay, uh, I, I I saw his Instagram, but no, we didn't we didn't cross paths. Um, but no, I had a lovely time in Hawaii. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, wanted to thank you for you know your support. Uh, my my phone was blowing up. I was literally sitting on the beach. I get a text from you saying you know we're gonna do it today, and all of a sudden I'm like what is he talking about? Um, and I realized that my both the article around like the SEC Twitter following. And all of a sudden, I'm getting all these follows. Um, so thank you for uh, thank you for doing that. My my Twitter following has blown up. I'm now at like 640. Um, <laughs> so I gained like 300 followers. So that's a, that's a big credit to you. So thank you for that. Oh, it is the holiday gift, uh, the only holiday gift I suppose I can offer you at this point, Jay. And I do want to know. I've had a day like that. It was the Rothenberg boost, which he prides mm. himself on. It was the day we broke the story about the COVID list 2020 U.S. Open. If you want to read about that story, I suppose, you can go find it on our website, crackrackets.com. I'll work in a plug there because why not? Um, But, yeah, you know, I had told you I'm getting you over 500 followers. That said, it was like a 200-follower bump in like 26 hours. And I – again, I've had that happen to me once. And just is it annoying, gratifying? Where are you at? When Just, again, not to get insider baseball. I apologize. (laughs) Listeners probably like skip 15, skip 15, (laughs) skip 15. But – that had to have been fun. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I, or stressful. I well, 
it helped that I think the um, the article did well. The article yeah. around like the the Twitter followers. I think people found that one really interesting, um, which I was glad to see. Um, but I wasn't on my phone that much that day. Uh, we did like a rafting tour. I was out on the water all day. So I came back and I was like, oh my God. Um, so it, it was fun. I've learned a few things from it though. Um, the first is that there are a lot of college coaches who are, I use this term nicely, lurking, <laughs> I will call it. Um, so I, I found a few alts. I, I just found like a lot of like lurking um, college coaches as well as those who like are very quick to slide into the DMs, which is great. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting. I was like, interesting. This is like an analysis of Gruskin's following. This is curious. Um, but overall, no, it was, it was really fun. I will say though, there is one follower that is extremely elusive and I'm still waiting for that follow is it oh i'm trying to think who could it be who it, it's not simon earnshaw he definitely hit that follow button he smashed the follow button <laughs> yeah and DMs. by the way lurking is what you're trying to say you know the kind way of saying is it these college coaches are always looking for information they're always looking for what can give them a hint into what can give them that extra boost to get to the top of the game that's why again it's been so fun to join this college tennis community because of how engaging and again thoughtful so many of these coaches are I mean, I don't think Coach Farood has a Twitter account. Yeah. That would be great if she was just one of the, like, mysterious Russian-looking bots on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. By the way, yeah, for I apologize for any of my followers that now follow me. Well, I don't apologize for them. I proudly embrace them. But I know if you're following me, it must be a little weird. And so shout out to all (laughs) of you. Um, And I say that complimentary. I don't know. I give up. Who is it? It's at Cracked Rackets. Oh! <laughs> You're kidding me. No. All right. The call well, is coming from inside the house. Let me rectify that right now as we're speaking. That is incredible. That Cracked Rackets does not follow you yet. That is an absolute oversight. You will now how many, see it. How many more articles do I need to write? Uh, that was more. what I wanted to ask. <laughs> that's what we do. We hang the carrot out there. Or that's the stick for the there carrot of the content. But if you look now, you will see that has been rectified. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes, that's I actually, found that very funny. I should have <laughs> saved it for four ninety nine and saved that as your 500 follower um, because that would have been a nice injection of humor but all right with all that said again happy new year my friend great to have you back great to get to be doing this once again and look it's been fun this entire stretch these top three teams we're about to get to over these next couple of weeks and i actually think we're doubling up the rest of the way so we can beat the start of the season these teams are exceptional and so these conversations only going to get more fun moving forward with that said a little bit of new year's business to wrap up I think the single best graphic you're winning the 2022 tennis Twitter race right now is Ooh. the is Rinky Hijikata coming back <laughs> meter that you've been tweeting out, Jay. It's exceptional. I'm such a fan. And look, you've been on the beat again. If you're The reason so many people are gravitating towards your Twitter account is because you do such a great job, not only about talking about the biggest issues in college tennis, but following those recently graduated or current college tennis players and their success in the pros. And you know, for people who follow Jay, you will know Rinky Hichikata has had a strong start to his season in Australia, earning a win over Dennis Kudler, earning a win over, I believe it was, don't say it, don't say it, Henry Laxanen yesterday as well, uh, obviously into a main draw of an ATP event. Now, you know, if you followed Rinky's success in the past, you will know that he's won qualifying events. Uh, qualifying matches, excuse me, at the Australian Open before. And obviously, if you followed what Rinky was able to do over the course of this summer, just absolutely killed it. 
at the futures level, 39 and 12 overall. That might even be missing some matches, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Multiple titles along the way. Now, you know, only played one challenger event. It was in Kerry. He qualified, make the round of 16 before getting knocked out by Zach Sfida. He also played qualifying at the Knoxville Challenger. Loses three sets in the final round of qualifying. But again, these wins over Kudla, wins over Laxanen. This is a guy clearly playing the best tennis of his career. Again, props on the graphic, of course. Shout out to you. Hey, great shot. But more seriously, at this point, you look for ranking in the rankings, 375 entering the week. Does he come back? I'm, my graphic would say no, and I agree yeah. as as the author of the graphic. Um, well, with some, with some theft. Um, but, I mean, no, right? Uh, one, I mean, he's going to play fully this Australian swing as much as he can. Um, that ranking is going to go up. This is his first ATP event. Um, and I don't really know what he comes back for. I'm a big proponent of people coming back. Um, but UNC, they're not a title contender this year, right? They're not going to win the NCAA team title, which could be a carrot for him. Um, unfortunately, there's no hope of him getting a U.S. Open wild card if he does come back and win the NCAA singles tournament. So it feels like the right time to be launching you know, as a good launching pad for his career this Australian summer. He's always had success down there. I'm not sure what you would come back for. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. And look, it's we're playing a game of speculation, Jones, of course. And yeah, let's piss off the Tar Heel fans before we get into number three, North Carolina women. I don't know. Uh, they, but, a, lot, a lot of them like the graphic. Yeah, they're also realists. <laughs> and it's just, let's be honest here. To your point, what is Rinky? What's the reason for coming back? You have this stash of pro points you have cashed throughout the course of the summer. And right now you have five min- uh, months on your ranking to play with. Pretty much, I mean, not pretty much, nothing to defend. Between here and May, everything is just free points you're adding to your ranking. And, of course, again, he's qualified for the main draw in Melbourne. You look right now in the live rankings, Rinky Hijikata, new career high, number 357. Still only 20 years old, which, like, yeah, he's been a part of our college tennis lives for a while. That's still the baby boy stage of your pro tennis career. And, look, even with the ranking protections, even with the difficulties right now of getting into challenger main draws, 357 is going to get the job done. You can now play challenger qualifying. You can even get in perhaps on your own ranking into, depending how you chart your schedule, multiple challenger events over the course of the next month. And if you can play 500 ball, make three quarterfinals, maybe, you know, win, you know, just a bunch of first matches at the challenger level. Now you're top 300. Now you're top 250. Now you get to the summer and you're approaching Grand Slam Qualifications And obviously getting into Grand Slam qualities is the difference between having a chance at the top 100 and not having that opportunity. That's just the way the ranking is structured. And when you look for Rinky, again, nothing to defend the next five months. Just logistically, strategically, it makes most sense. And we have loved, and shout out to Alan. You know we love you, Alan. Longtime listener, longtime caller as well, who says, you know, I think it was him who said, I'm going to miss saying, hearing the rinky hijikata, the excitement in my voice. Of course, I have loved having rinky as part of college tennis. And 2020, it, the team that got screwed the most, you know what, I'm just going to swear, the team that got f***ed the most, no doubt, by COVID, in terms of what their program was set to accomplish during the 2020 season, is North Carolina. 
and it's both the men and the women. And, you know, yes, North Carolina lost a heartbreaker in Wisconsin in that national indoor final. Chris Hallioris and I were on the call. It's a match I will never forget. The moment Riley and Daniel took that number one doubles flight over Brian and Will, you just felt the momentum shift in USC's favor. You could see how loose they were playing, how excited they were to get into that match and, you know, again, get after it. And there, I'm not saying there was a tentativeness to North Carolina, but for that group, that was really their first time on that stage. And... You know, again, I think a loss like that would have done wonders for that North Carolina team throughout the course of the season because, you you know, Rinky's a freshman at the time. He's killing it, but now he's tasted defeat, and no one wants to repeat that. Cernok, who was playing so well at the start of the season, he took a loss in that USC match, and you know there would have been hunger there, and we've seen the growth from Brian last season. He was part of the men's match calculus. You know, he was one of their locks, and yep. so we saw that growth. We saw what that loss and that hunger did for his game, and, you know, again— that team would have been right there come the end of the season. And ditto for the North Carolina women, and perhaps amplified even more so, because that team was winning the national championship. I was at the national indoors in Chicago. That team was so much better, and I know I've done this before, but this is the time to do this. Again, we're back. I really missed, I, I again, I sent it out, reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> like, if you're not listening to Peaches and Cream, you're just not doing it right. But being back in the podcast booth, of course, we're talking about North Carolina, who the North Carolina women are the new Virginia. The, the new Virginia men. Like, just there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This team has dominated the national indoors the way the Brian Boland Virginia men dominated the national indoors from Somdev's senior year on for that six-year run until they win their first national championship. And that's the stretch we've seen from North Carolina. They've won the indoors three, uh, what is it, four of the past five years or three of the past four, whatever it may be. I think 18, 19, well, they win it in 20 and 20. Well, no, no, they didn't win it in 19, I don't think so. 18, 20, and 21, three of the last four, I believe. Point B. Being, they've showed that level of dom- you know, of dominance. They've gotten to the semifinals, the finals, losing to eventual national champions, or last year the heartbreaker 4-3 in a match against Pepperdine that if they play that match 10 times, North Carolina is winning it five times. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that, and we can get into that in a second. The point being, at those national indoors in 2020, they were better than everyone else. Cruise on their way to the national uh, indoor final. And then, respectfully, as good as Forbes, Bolton, Hart were at the top of UCLA's lineup, their depth that season was just that much better than anyone else's. The difference being last year, you had the super teams. You had the influx of the Texas freshmen plus Tarati returning. You had everything at Pepperdine with Leahy coming back, Fela coming back. North Carolina wins the 2020 NCAA championship on the women's side running away. I have no doubts in my mind. And so all of that is to say, you know, this program, it, it sucks that they're not going to, that they didn't get that crowning achievement that I, their crowning moment that I think 2020 really could have been. They could have been one of those rare teams to sweep both the men's and the women's titles. I, that is the fondness I have for this Carolina program right now, both on the men's and women's side entering this 2022 podcast. With that said, you're right. Like, the men aren't going to win a title this year. And so to go full circle, that's why Rinky goes pro because his his ranking is in a position now where the opportunity for growth is going to be there. And he's already been a part of a generation of Carolina tennis that is etched in the history. You know, they win the national indoor title last year. They've done that. And so it's it's etched into college men's college tennis history. Like Rinky's teams will always be remembered, at least on this podcast. And maybe that's all that matters. Yeah, um, rant over. But, yeah, that was so much. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I agree on Rinky, right? I mean, the only thing that I could think of is just the schedule is kind of uncertain on the pro tour right now, right? Sure. And so maybe it's an okay bet to go back to Chapel Hill, continue training, and uh, and take that rather than have to be kind of on your own right now during a very uncertain period. Um, but I mean, I, we'll have to find out. Um, yeah. But we shall see. No, it'll be fascinating. And, yeah, I mean, if you'd like to add any commentary on the 2020 North Carolina thing, I know we've talked about it before. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little bit more measured than you are on that just sure. because we we have seen North Carolina win indoors many times. They've won it five times. Um, every time they've won it, they have not won the NCAA tournament. So dominating indoors does not equate to winning the NCAA tournament. Um, yeah, but they've won the indoors. They never dominated it the way they did that year. Like, that's, I guess, the difference. Sorry to push back immediately. Again, this is how much I missed you. Um, <laughs> but that's the difference is I, I just think even outdoors, you saw the way injured they beat, was it Florida State at the yeah. end of that season as well? And that was an outdoor match. And just, you know, again, the ACC was loaded that year as well. It was that much more pronounced in 2021. But I think Carolina would have taken the lumps that season. And again, there wasn't a Texas looming. There wasn't a, you know, Pepperdine looming. It was UCLA, and they beat them soundly. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, they also had the opportunity to do it in 2021, as did the sure. men, right? They all had the exact same roster on both sides. Sure. Was Texas the Texas um, of 2021 and 2020? Absolutely not. Was Pepperdine? Nope. All these teams had the opportunity to reload. But when we talk about super super teams, the North Carolina women were the super team, yeah. right? In 2021, they brought back three players, all who had been – ITA top five in their careers. That's crazy. And so, you know, you make the comparison to Virginia, which I hadn't thought about. I think it's a good one. Um, in many ways, to me, UNC is the Ohio State uh, in terms of not being able to, you know, get that national championship. So a little more measured on we'll have to see how that 2020 would have played out. But we were all sitting there, right, in both 2020 and 2021, let's not forget, being like, this is the first school that might have a very legitimate shot of winning both men and women in a very long time. I still can't believe they lost that match against Pepperdine. And I, I mean, again, well, well, are we'll we ready to it. get into it? Or I was going to say, yeah. I know you had something for me before we start. Yeah, before we get into it, and this is thematically aligned. Okay. As I was as I was writing, you know, the article, it occurred to me, and so I'll ask you this question, and then I want to play a game. Is North Carolina the best women's tennis program that has not won a national title? Well, now we're looking into history. I mean, the answer is, as of right now, absolutely. And I, I really do think Virginia is a better comp than Ohio State because with all due respect to Ohio State, yes, they've earned a national indoor title. They've earned two of them, as a matter of fact. And for to this day, Ty Tucker, one of my favorite moments is when I brought up them winning, I think it was the 2015 title, or maybe it was 14, the Cobalt team. And I said, well, that was the year with the funky scoring. And it goes, of the course, Michigan fans <laughs> trying to put on an asterisk to my title. And I was like, no, that's not what I mean. But I'll tell you what, that J.J. Wolf team, 2019, they were better than everyone else at the national indoors. And so that, again, there's no more asterisks. They've won two national indoor titles. Virginia's won more than two. What's Virginia won? Uh, Virginia, excuse me. North Carolina, they've won what, like six they've won national five. indoors? Yeah, five on the women's side. That's dominance. And just eventually... Virginia was that same way, dominated year after year at the indoors. You knew semifinals, finals, titles. They were going to get there. Again, the Shabazz yep. teams never lost at the national indoors. He and Sonam, 4-0. 
in national indoor titles throughout their four years. That's essentially what Davitella, Graham, and Jones have just done. Like, that's the sort of run that they have essentially finished. So that's why I compare them to Virginia and not Ohio State. And again, that's not to diminish Ohio State. That's to speak to just how exceptional North Carolina has been. And I also do think the national title is inevitable for Coach Kelbis. Um, But, I mean... Yes, I have to say yes, especially in recent memory, because it's not as though they're fluke runs. When you do it five times, you belong at the top of women's college tennis. Now, to my knowledge, who are I mean, I don't know who are some of the well, other schools me, who haven't won one. So let me give you a few blind resumes. Okay. Okay. So we have two other teams outside of North Carolina who have won, made two NCAA finals, but these are all teams that failed to win a championship. So we have Team A, two finals, seven semifinals, thirteen elite eights. They have two NCAA singles champions. They have five NCAA doubles titles, and they have one indoor title. Team B, two NCAA finals, one NCAA semifinal, nine elite eights, two NCAA singles, one NCAA doubles, zero team indoors. Then you have UNC, one NCAA final, three NCAA semifinals, six elite eights, one NCAA singles champion, two doubles champions, and five indoor titles. Is Pepperdine one of those teams? No. Okay. Hmm. I mean, those are some pretty. Who's is Team A? Duke? No, Duke's won one. That's it's Duke not them. Sorry, sorry, yep. Jamie. I apologize. Um, I knew that. Huh. I'm stumped. I mean, if you're about to say no, because it's not them. All right, lay them on me. Give me Team A, Team B, Team. I mean, I know Team C, obviously. Team A is Cal. Oh, okay, sure, makes sense. And Team B is Miami. I was going to guess Miami. I wanted to go there. And obviously, Cohen, champion. Stella, champion. Yep. Virginia's not quite there, but they've had the individual success. Navarro, Collins, obviously. So they'd be one of those shortlist teams. I I did the shortlist for you. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. I still say North Carolina just because, again, at least most recently. But obviously, you talk about that Cal resume. Yeah, that's a program, and it's California tennis. They've always been in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, I think if you slash off one decade, you say, okay, 1980s, we're not counting, then it's absolutely North Carolina. Um, right. I mean, some of those Cal elite eights, it was like every year in the 1980s, there might've been eight teams playing that year. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, in in recent memory, especially, especially this past decade, they, North Carolina has been dominant. They've just been, they're looking for that elusive title. They're looking for that cracked racket follow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you know, again, we do our best to provide that to as many people as we can, Jay, including yourself. But all right, with all that said, I assume that was the game you wanted to play. Exceptional yes. game, as always. This is why people are now following you at Jay Tweets Tennis, because you are providing such exceptional stats. And obviously, you got name dropped by Kansas coach Todd Chapman on our podcast recently. I expect that to continue to happen with more frequency. But with that said... All right, Jay, you heard me starting to get to it at the end of that rant. We're talking about the North Carolina Tar Heels, our preseason number three team. You look at what the Tar Heels are coming off of, arguably one of the best five-year runs in women's college tennis history, maybe the best run to not end with an NCAA championship. And you look at what the core of Graham, Davitella, uh, and McKenna Jones were able to accomplish. They win national indoor championships in 2018, 2020, 2021. You look at it throughout the course of the season. I believe when you combine with last year's, it was like a 48-match win streak or something crazy like that. And, you know, again, 
this team does end up with an NCAA title. They Again, if I would have told you it was Jones and Scotty who were going to deliver it, we all would have laughed at the start of the season. But you look at what this team was able to accomplish throughout the course of last year. 30-1 and national indoor champions. Heartbreaking 4-3 loss against Pepperdine in the NCAA semifinals. The floor is yours. Your takeaway from Carolina's 2021. Heartbreaking. Um, you know, I mean, the irony of that Pepperdine match coming down to number two doubles and Scotty and Jones losing that match and then going on to win the NCAA doubles title is uh, is certainly a story in and of itself. Um, I mean, you talked about it. This team was dominant all season, right? They haven't lost an ACC regular season match since 2018. They were on a 48-match win streak, a 44-match win streak going into the NCAAs. Um you probably got an early glimpse of like, okay, there might be some other teams that can test them, right? When we saw that young Texas squad really punch them in the face, um, punch them in the nose, uh, right out of the gates and doubles. Um, and then eventually UNC comes through 4-3. Um, but then they continue to be dominant through a gauntlet of an ACC opponents this past season, right? I mean, we talked about there were six ACC teams in the top 10. North Carolina didn't have any trouble with them. Um, and... And yeah, they lose the heartbreaker to Pepperdine. You play that match a hundred times. It's probably going to come down to a point or two every time. Um, but overall, the extremely successful program, extremely successful few years, heartbreaking ending. Um, not really much more to say than that. There are a couple of what ifs throughout the course of the season. What if they lose that match at Georgia? to start the year and again you know this is a team that dealt with a bunch of injuries throughout the course of the season it felt like cam mora was never really healthy it felt like elizabeth scotty even in the ncaa doubles title run was never really healthy but you wonder if that team loses to georgia at georgia if that team doesn't come back in dramatic fashion if elizabeth scotty isn't able one of the best runs i've ever seen again coming back from down against charlotte shavatapan to win that national indoor title and what it will always be one of my favorite matches to have ever been on the call humble brag there um, you know what if they just get tripped up in one of those two matches what does that do for this unit does that you know again create a hunger does that change not to say that this team wasn't hungry because of course come the NCAA tournament believe me you could see how much this team wanted it particularly those seniors in that Pepperdine match and we'll get there in a second um, but yeah you, you just you look for this team <sighs> I just I, to me that's the thing I just felt like they were never healthy and like again the records are so gaudy across the yeah. board all of these players success after success like you look for Scotty and, and Jones both 14 and 3 and Graham 13 and 2 it just felt like again yes you wanted to play Yarlagata yes you wanted to play Tran and so Calvis Cal- had the luxury to rest his team when they weren't healthy but it just felt like after winning that national indoor title we didn't get to see the six Tar Heels competing together that we saw you know, you know, from Davitella all the way down to Crawley at six. It just felt like Scotty was always missing or Mora was always missing. Someone was always missing. And again, I'm not making excuses, but when you're looking at the difference between why and why not for this team that went 30 and freaking one and still, by the way, only lost 4-3 in the NCAA semifinals, was a hair away from being in that national championship. And God damn did I want a UNC-Texas rematch not to take anything away from Pepperdine. Um, but... That to me is the takeaways. It just it just felt like they were never their healthiest after that 2020 national indoor run. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, and we'll get into that as we talk about 2022, right? Because those are kind of some of the same questions, um, particularly Mora and Scotty. Um, yeah, I think and my hot take is that if they don't play Scotty against Pepperdine, I think they win that match. Yeah. Um, right? They were doing some pulling both either Scotty or Jones, and there was some some lineup switches. I think if you pull Scotty, who I don't think was 100% in singles, you know, you probably are going to lose at number four, but I think Crawley and Tran win at five and six, and you had Davatella and Graham at one and two. You know, that to me is the biggest what if, more so than if they take a lump earlier in the year. Um, that that to me is the biggest what if. Um, but yeah, I think health is going to be a big factor. I think as we look to 2022, especially they don't have the depth that they had this past season because you don't have right the three extra scholarship players. Um, so you don't have a roster of just you know incredible talent all the way down. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, well, that's why I think a loss would have been helpful because I do think, and I love Coach Calvis, absolutely love him. But I think there was a stubbornness where it's just like, look, I know what these six can do. They came back from the depths of hell and won that national indoor championship. These are my six. This is my team. Scotty tells me she's good to go. She's playing. Let's roll the balls out. Let's play. And again, they're a whisper, you know, a whisker away from making the national indoor, uh, excuse me, the NCAA final as well. Um, but to your point, Fiona Crawley's 28-0 last season. They're, you know— uh, Riley Trans sixteen and zero. Annika Yarlagata is eleven and one. You pull an, a not healthy Scotty from singles. You don't miss a beat at the course of last season. Your team proved that throughout the course of the year, and that's why I think losing with that group, which again had never lost, they won the national indoor championships, were undefeated in twenty twenty, did it against Florida State, had done all of these things. They didn't lose at the national indoors. You can get why Coach Kalbis thought the way he did, but to your point. I, you're looking for the small differences. He wanted to ride and die with his six, and you got to love him for that. But it did bite him. Yeah, well, it 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 wasn't just riding with them though, because Scotty didn't play against Duke in their quarterfinal win. Yeah, um, it was it was McKenna Jones versus Mabel Chi. Um, great win for McKenna Jones coming back there. They inserted Scotty back. She was listed at four for that semifinal match. I, I hear what you're saying around like these are really my six. This is what I. You know, ride and die. This is the this is the lineup. Um, but that one was a tough one, and I, I look back on that one um, as very rarely I think are there like as acute like ooh like this lineup change might have dictated uh, potentially a national championship. But that to me just sticks out um, as well as of course having the NCAA national champion at two doubles um you know maybe that was the loss right you talk about that these teams needed a loss maybe this loss was really the reason they won the ncaa doubles title but yeah i mean this is one they'll look back on um and it's it's tough Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, no, again, it was just that match was incredible. And add, to your point, to watch them struggle against Duke the way they did, you felt like that was the perfect struggle for this team to sort of say, all right, let's wake up. It's time for us to bring our A game. We know how yep. good Pepperdine can be. And again, 
I'm not trying to take away anything from Leahy and Fela. We'll talk about them when we talk Pepperdine. But Davitel and Graham gave them a beatdown in that final. And there was just an energy to those two at the top where it was, we are not losing today. Like, this is our day. This is our time. This ends now. Um, And Crawley just didn't lose at six, period. Again, she was so exceptional last year and just... Yeah, it was a bittersweet ending to what has been one of the runs of all time. And Davitella finishes second in all-time wins. And Alexa Graham finishes third in all-time wins in program history. McKenna Jones has been, as you point out, a top-five player in NCAA, in the NCAA singles rankings during her time. This group accomplished so much. Pour one out for that Carolina Tar Heel generation. Was certainly one of my favorites to cover, uh, probably my favorite to cover in my time covering college tennis, but also one of the favorites for us fans to enjoy over these past five seasons. With all of that said, let's flip the uh, page. Let's turn the script to 2022. You look at the returning roster. It starts with Cam Mora, Elizabeth Scotty, Fiona Crawley, all back for another season. Returners who, again, you look for them last year. Crawley, 28-0, just ridiculous. Mora, 15-8 uh, in dual matches. You look for Elizabeth Scotty, 14-3. Of course, those are the headliners, but as we mentioned, Riley Tran, 16-0 in dual matches last season. Annika Yarlagata, 11-1. Of course, you could bring back Ali Sanford as well. She and uh, Riley Tran, 16-4 at the number three doubles position, so you get some continuity there. You yep. bring back Elizabeth Scotty into the doubles lineup. She became an ITA All-American, uh, excuse me, National Fall Champion with Fiona Crawley earlier this fall as well. It's a nice roster, Jay. I mean, even it's incredible that you can lose that generation and still have this much talent left. Where, again, with Yarlagada on that roster as well, you've got five people who have already shown they can have success pretty much. I mean, again, it's a step up, but people who have shown they can have success in college tennis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to add to that Crawley and Trans stat of 44-0, they lost four sets combined. <laughs> that is so ridiculous. They went 88-4 and four in total sets last season. Yeah, they lost four sets. That's incredible. <laughs> that is the stat of stats. I might have to steal that from you when we tweet out this podcast. Or you know what? You should probably tweet that out. But that is yeah. nuts. Yeah. Um, so – Yes, you had all of this talent that was just sitting at six, seven, eight, nine, right? Um, and so when you look, the reason why they're th- three is despite losing Davitella, Graham, and Jones, they return a really experienced roster and they showed it this fall, right? They're the only team with four singles players in the top 20. Um, a fifth of the ITA top 20 is North Carolina players. Um, so just an, an incredible talent. Um, and for me, there are three kind of like, I can synthesize it to three revelations this fall. One was Fiona Crawley is an excellent doubles player. Number two is Tran has quietly had an incredible fall season. And then three, uh, Carson Tanjulig, their, one of their, their freshman recruits, um, has also had an incredible season. So you look at those pieces coming to fruition with the experience of Mora, of Scotty, uh, this is going to be a roster that I think will surprise people because they're expecting this to be a rebuilding year, but that they rebuilt in, in behind the scenes, right? They already have this talent, and now those players are just going to be moving up um, further in the roster, and they've proven this fall that they can do it. 
No, even though we know, again, for, we did a Virginia pod recently. You talk about Navarro Subash, 1-2. That 1-2 is probably, you feel more confident about them than maybe anything else in the conference, and, you know, maybe anything else in the country in terms of a top-two duo. But right away, you know this Carolina team has five players that can get wins against any team in the country in singles. And that's just the returners to, you know, again, the roster construction. And, you know, this is a team that is constantly doing well on the recruiting circuit. And as you mentioned, you look for Carson Tanjulik. She's 10-3 and three in her fall yeah. in her singles campaign. And, yeah, again, another step forward from Riley Tran, 10-1. and one. You look for Fiona Crawley, 16-3 and three here in the fall. You look for her three losses. She loses to Sarah Hamner, 6-1 and one at the All-American. She loses to Riley Tran in three sets in Milwaukee. She loses in three sets to Connie Ma at the Fall National Championships. I mean, again, you lose to your teammate, Hamner and Ma. Like, that's a player that's ready to take a jump not only— and again, she was undefeated last season, but she's ready to be a top three singles player in the lineup. She can help fill the gap of one of those spots in terms of uh, Graham or Davitella in the top three. But look, for Cam Mora, who is a top 20 player right now— Five. Not, yeah, yeah, and you know, nine and four, I believe she goes overall here in the yep. fall. Again, it's a health thing because it just felt like Mora was not healthy at the end of last season, was having some issues with the shoulder. And I am curious: is she the answer at number one? Is Scotty the answer at number one? Who's clearly got the pro, you know, the big weapons, the serve, the big ground strokes. Certainly, when she's hitting on her front foot, it feels like she can play on her terms. You love that at the number one spot, but then on paper. Like, Crawley's the player, right? She's had the best fall. She's just a ridiculous number in her career at this point. Like, it, it's an interesting question to have, but that is, I think, when you start with the lineup questions, I think that's where you start. Yeah, but before you start there, I oh, actually I think like Crawley it. had the third best fall on the team. I think really? both, both Tran and Tanjulik had a better fall than Crawley. Crawley had the better record. She didn't have a marquee win like both Tran and Tanjulik. Tran beat Cayetano. Uh, Tran beat Natasha Subosh. Mm -hmm. Tran didn't lose her a collegiate match until she lost to Alexa Noel at the ITA Regional Championships. It's her only collegiate loss ever. And then you look at Tan Julik. She had three top 20 wins. She beat Carrie Miller. She beat Salma Ewing. And she beat uh, Lainey Sleeth of Oklahoma. That is extremely impressive for a freshman who honestly came in a little bit under the radar. So not to say Fiona Crawley is not an excellent player, but on its merit, like, these other two players had, a, had an extremely solid fall. So um, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I just want to give no. props to both Tran and Tanjulik. This is why I love having you on the show because I that's a great – I was wrong. I You're right. I agree with you. I You've made the case, and I think that's a convincing one. Now I would disagree in terms of Crowley having a lesser fall than those two. I think beating everyone you're supposed to beat, playing Hamner tight, playing Tran – you know, obviously the loss to Tran I throw out because it's teammate versus teammate, but the loss to Mon three sets – that shows me that Fiona Crowley's done with six singles. Like, it's just so clear. She, and I'm not saying that was ever the question, but it's just like she now beats everyone she's supposed to beat. And yeah. now it's just about getting looks at those top competitors, you know, those top players. It's also an eye test thing, just getting to watch so much of Crowley during the fall nationals, during her freshman season. Her game's ready. Like, I think she's yep. ready to take that sophomore surge. And I think her dual match experience, again, I guess seeing everything we saw her freshman year confirmed here in the fall, that to me is a more valuable thing than just seeing you know what Tanjula can do although Tran did something similar there so I the gap is more narrow than I expected that would be the case for Crawley is it's just that sophomore surge it's happening 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we were looking for in this fall, right? You see Crawley and Triangle undefeated, and the question is, okay, how do they do that against national competition? Guess what? They check all the box. They check all the boxes and probably even surprise some as well. So both are clearly ready for moving well, well up in the lineup. Um, but I just thought it was great to know not only is it Crawley, right? It's Tran, it's Tanjulig, and those are really some of the missing pieces that this team needs because one of the hallmarks of these North Carolina teams over the years has been the depth right you just think about them at five and six and they're clearly preparing for another season where they're strong in those areas as well and then the scary thing is how good they're going to be at doubles too because again crawley scotty 10 and 0 national yep. fall champions uh mora tenjulik 12 and 1 and they play a funky style where you know again mora likes to be at that baseline playing cross court keeping you know that ball in play and opening up angles for her opponent to clean up at the net tenjulik proves she can do that and yep. I think that's a very fun doubles pairing. And then, of course, again, Tran and Sanford, who uh, go 7-3 and three here this fall. That's another solid fall for them. If you can slot them in at the number three position once more, they proved 16-4 and four last season. You like yep. those six right away. And again, that doesn't even include Annika Yarlagata, who has had success throughout the course of her college tennis career. And I'll be biased because I've been hitting with her since she was six years old. I fully admit that. Um, but... They just, they clearly have the talent. And look, it wasn't the biggest class for Coach uh, Calvis. It's just Carson Tanjulig as a freshman uh, joining the roster this season. But again, you have people like, you know, uh, Casey Harvey still on there, Sarah McClure still on there. Um, You bring back, uh, you know, uh, you bring in Lindsey Zink as well. That's another freshman they get here at the end. Talk to me about the possible lineup because you look at this team, it feels like, I feel like you can lock in five, right? The five returners, I feel like you could play all of them. You throw in Tanjulig at six. That's an easy six singles. Like, right of the way, you feel pretty good. But there's some depth here. I, I really like this team. Yeah, I mean, th- I think those are your six. Um, fun fact about Lindsay Zink, um, you know, obviously, she's the brother, she's the sister of Tyler Zink, who plays for Oklahoma State. Her mom played for uh, Calvis at William & Mary. We're already there. That's got to be Coach Calvis is like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, so we're there. Um, but actually, I was surprised. She had a pretty decent fall. The record doesn't reflect it. I think she was 6-6. Six and six. Um, But she came in as a four-star and honestly had results that were pretty impressive in terms of competing with some of the uh, some SEC players who I know will start mid to high in the lineup. So that's another component of depth there. Um, but I think you're right. I think the six feel pretty solid, right? You have Mora, you have Scotty, you have Crawley, you have Tran, you have Yarlagata, and you have uh, Tanjulig. Uh, to me, the biggest question, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is Mora and Scotty. I think the health of both of them, Mora did not look great this fall, um, particularly on the national stage. She lost first round of both All-American and the ITA National Championship, and then she withdrew. So to me, I'm wondering if that's health issues. And Scotty is is certainly perplexing, right? She obviously had some health issues last fall. She looked great in singles when she played. She played three matches. She blew out... um, Kelly Chen, I believe, and also Carly Briggs of Florida. Uh, she only played three matches. She obviously had success in doubles. Um, so that's that's tough to figure out. Obviously, you have Crawley, you have Tran, you have Tanjulig um, to, to fill in the pieces. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, but I would say you play Mora at one. And the reason being is I think Mora is just as likely to win at one as she could be to lose at three. And having Crawley and Tran at two and three feel 
really like solid positions for me. I think you keep Scotty at four. Again, her ceiling is super high. I, I just haven't seen her play that much singles. Uh, and then I think you have Tanjulig at five, and I think this is the year that Yarla Gata, you know, plays consistently, uh, and I think that's at six. Well, that's the question is, do you want to win in the now, build for the future? You're building for the future. Crawley, Tran, maybe Tanjulig, they need to get their reps in the top three. In particular, you feel like it's going to be one of Crawley or Tran probably taking over that number one single spot over the next couple of seasons. They've both been good enough in the fall to earn it. To have earned that one spot, you know, over Mora, over Scotty. The idea of playing Scotty at four, by the way, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think she's going to line up at the two, three spot. She'll be the one who gets pulled occasionally in the lineup when she's not healthy. Everyone slides up a spot, and you do see, you know, to your point, four of six of Lindsay Zink's loss were in three sets. You know, the other one, six and five, and, you know, I believe the other one's Marina. Uh, you know, she loses a one and three match, but still. Like, yeah, I, I do think this team, it's not as sure thing 7-8 as it was last year or the years prior when, you know, again, last year was Tran or Yarlagata who could fill in when you're missing two of your six starters. This yep. year, they don't quite have that luxury. It's a tough choice in the singles lineup. I mean, I think the doubles lineups, you've got your three pairings. We've listed it. I think that's yep. pretty clear. Agreed. <sighs> You framed it brilliantly. Like, you're right. Mora can just as likely win as one as she could lose at three. That said, I think she starts out at two. I do think it's Crawley mm. or Tran, one of those players who have just played more matches here this fall. Or maybe Mora starts out at one. But I would be shocked if if Crawley, you know, falls out of the top two. I mean, I think that's fair. I also, you know, I think there's a motivation factor too. I think more is going to be more motivated at one than she might be at three. Also, um, I think that's going to be tough to see maybe both Crawley and Tran pass her in the lineup. Um, so that is the that those two are the open question for me. How healthy is Scotty? How consistently does she play? And what is Mora's level at, right? I mean, last season was a regression for her. I mean, she had a stellar first two seasons, first freshman in UNC history to make the semifinals of the NCAA singles tournament. And we haven't seen that level. Uh, we didn't see it last season. We haven't seen it this fall. So, you know, I think the good news for them is that they have four players that they can play in those four top spots. And I think they have two players that fit really nicely in at five and six. Um, and they'll they'll have a lot of other chances to play around with giving more opportunities to people at one and two as they play things like double headers and some of the weaker opponents in the ACC. Um, so it's it's going to be a big question mark where Moore and Scotty are at in in later this month. I will say though, from a match calculus perspective, I like this team at five and six more than any team we've talked about to date. And perhaps as much as any team in the country, because whoever it is, whether it is, and it does feel like Yarlagata will be one of those five or six spots, but whether it's Tanjulik, whether it's, you know, again, somehow Riley Tran, if Tanjulik takes off, or just whomever it may be, you pencil those in for the Tar Heels against everyone they play, except for maybe our top two teams. That is how good you feel about these six. Now, it's not as injury proof as years past, but I think that's how good you feel about this six. And again, from a match calculus perspective, it does feel like this team's going to start out 1-0 up. 
in quite a bit of matches. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, again, when we talk about the depth here in the top three, that sort of thing matters. And, you know, again, that's why we have this team top three here in our preseason rankings. Now you look at the ITA kickoff weekend, Carolina going to be a heavy favorite as they host Oregon, Tulsa, Charlotte. By the way, that's indicative of what other coaches across the country think about this Tar Heel team here this year. You look at the schedule uh, they're playing this season, going to get a bunch of warm-up matches, a couple of doubleheaders, as you mentioned, prior to the kickoff weekend. They're also playing Georgia at home Saturday, the weekend before. They're going to play my Wolverines in Ann Arbor. God, I'm going to try and get to that match. Um, They're playing, you know, and then they play the full ACC schedule. They've still got some room, I'm sure, to add some matches along the way as well. It's a fun schedule, Jay. This team's going to have the opportunity to prove itself once again against what should still be, you know, NC State now with all of their late additions. They're shaping into a potential top 10 team. Duke, Virginia, both in our preseason top eight. Wake Forest had a pretty good fall. Miami's not a team that should be slept on. You always know Coach Hyde's going to have a, a fighting team at Florida State. This team's going to get pushed. There's no doubt about that throughout the course of the year. How do you see them shaking out? Yeah, I have a different take on the schedule. I think it's pretty weak right now. Um, and I'm wondering if we'll see more additions come, but it's feeling pretty late. Can I get uh, a counter? At Miami, at Florida State, at Wake Forest, at NC State, at Duke. It's a brutal ACC year for Coach Calvis. And one wonders with the team he has, Mora, Scotty, do you need to push them as frequently as you need to push some other young teams? Now, I do think Crawley, Tanjulig, Tran, Yarlagadas of the world, getting them even more matches in big scenarios, that matters. But you're, you, it is something he has to monitor, right? The health of his top two players I do wonder if that's reflected in this schedule because you make a good point. There's a lot, it does feel like there's some low hanging fruit for improvement. Yeah, I mean, it, what I feel to say is they're just kind of resting on the laurels of the strength of the ACC, right? Sure. They already have a very strong um, conference schedule, so but they're not really scheduling anything out of conference, which I think has been one of the fun things as these schedules get released to just see how aggressive some of these teams have been. Uh, this is definitely one of the more conservative schedules, assuming this is locked in. Um, but yeah, and that could be a factor, right? Hey, we know we're going to have a brutal ACC schedule. We're on the road a lot this year, so no need to kind of um, get beat up uh, in, in other places. Um, so that could certainly be a factor. Yeah. Um, one thing to note on on the lineups, we talk about the depth here. Um, I was just looking at the UTR comparison uh, to our other our, to our national finalists, uh, Pepperdine in Texas. Uh, UNC is uh, 0.25 behind Texas, and they are 1.2 behind Pepperdine. Um, so, you know, it, that's a lot to do with some of the, the top of the lineup, but certainly there are going to be battles there at five and six for these very elite teams. Well, it's crazy that you say again for the for this North Carolina team for them to be down that much from the UTR perspective. Um, they have four top 20 players like that's something that obviously that's a juxtaposition right there those are two things you have to balance and it's interesting because i wonder again from a strength perspective which which you think is more accurate the rankings there the utrs like do you feel because again like when cam mora plays well boy is she a tough out two hands both sides obviously if you haven't seen her play and it's just again her ability to work the angles that said I feel like I've seen some tough matches for, again, not healthy at the NCAA tournament. Didn't play particularly well at the National Indoors last season. You know, I've seen Scotty, though, play her best tennis. I was at the Shavatapan match, and it just feels like, again, for her, it's a health issue more than a results issue. 
I know we've talked about this, but this is the, this is this team, right? Like, if they want to be national champions, it needs to be the best version of Mora and Scotty. If it's anything yep. short of that, this team can still compete, but that'll hurt. Yep. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, a more really struggled down the home stretch of the season, um, losing. You know, I think three to four for last matches there. Um, it really comes down to Mora and Scotty. I write about this in the article. I don't have any questions about Crawley, Tran, Yarlagada, uh, even Tanjulig has been quite the re- revelation this fall. Three the through pl- six, this team's got it. Like they have the goods there. A hundred percent. If you start having a not healthy more, you start pulling Scotty from matches. That's where things get dicey. And so this is kind of a little bit of a, re- a, rever- a reversion to the mean though, when we don't have these sure. super teams where, yeah, if you lose a player, that's going to hurt. Um, and so in terms of the ACC, though, I still think this is the strongest team uh, going into the ACC. I still think that they'll um, that they'll win their conference. Um, you know, they haven't lost an ACC regular season match since 2018. I think they lose one, right? They have a few tough tests at home or uh, at other places this season. So I think they finally lose an ACC match. Um, but they're also... By the dark- way, you know who else didn't lose ACC matches? Virginia... <laughs> There you go. Um, my my sli- my sleeper pick though is UNC to win the indoors. Wow. Uh, and the reason I say that is I just think they're a much more adept indoor team than some of these other teams that would be that could threaten them from a talent level. Um, they're gonna ha- they're gonna make it through kickoff weekend no problem. Um, a lot of these other teams that we're looking at either aren't too competent indoors uh, or are are newer teams. You think about a team like a Stanford. Um, who just haven't had those reps, have a lot of freshmen in the lineup. So I think they could win indoors. Um, I think they will win the ACC. Um, and I feel surprisingly really good about this North Carolina team, particularly because our questions are around the experienced players. You always feel like at the end of the season, they're going to be playing their best tennis. That wasn't the case last season. I think will be really interesting to see how these players kind of operate outside the shadows of that trio of fifth years because now it's this now it's their team right this is Morris team this is Scotty's team um and it's time for them to step up yeah it's going to be really fun to watch this team compete again very comfortable kickoff weekend they should be one of the top three seeds entering the national indoors now from there things get interesting we've talked about the depth across the country this season they will get test tested round of 16 and again it's an experienced team it's also a young team somehow like i don't know how this team manages to balance those two things but they really do because have we seen tran tested in an ncaa quarterfinal national indoor quarterfinal not really yarlagata not really now we've seen them have plenty of success but that's an interesting pick to say they're the national indoor dark horse the national indoors is wide open because of how new all of these teams are even texas like yeah there are a lot of returning characters but they're also incorporating a bunch of new pieces here to start the season so it's going to be a fascinating national indoor this team has traditionally had success that's a bold pick i like it again conference wise nc state's really good but they, they lost the, – I mean, they're still experienced, but they lost their super – you know, if Rodgers and Smith were back this uh, – you know, that duo at the top back this season, just the experience they had, maybe you take them to knock off North Carolina a regular season match. I mean, that Duke-North Carolina match is going to be heated and in the best way possible because Duke's the more experienced team, and that group has not beaten Carolina. Kelly Chen 
is is probably sick of it. She's like, this is our chance. <laughs> this ends now. Chloe back, same deal. They're just as experienced as anyone on the Carolina roster. By the way, I should mention, Allie Sanford can fill in in a pinch. Five, six singles. That is an yeah. option for Coach Calbus, of course, here. She's been a top 50 player, I believe, in the country in the past. So let's not completely knock the depth of Carolina. It's there. It's just not quite as prominent as last season. <sighs> I do agree with you. I think this team gets to the National Indoor Final. Whether they win it or not, I'm not sure. But I just Pepperdine's never been great at the National Indoors, and I do think the doubles point for North Carolina at that event in particular is going to prove critical. I think they win the conference. I do think they go undefeated. I think they could lose the Georgia match before the National Indoors. That like, that is a possibility, but I still think they have success. <sighs> I don't know, though, nationally. I don't remember where. I mean, I'm look, it's semifinalists are better from here on in. I know Stanford's my one finalist. Yep. Hmm. You know what? Well, no. By virtue of that, I got to say semifinals. I'm, I'm sorry for the Tar Heels. I do think the finals is in the cards. I think this team is that good. I think if Tanjulig ends the season in the top three and not four, five, six, then this team does compete for a national championship. It does make the national final because that means she has clicked in a way that just provides them. Or maybe the flip side is that means Moore is injured. Scotty's injured. Someone's not playing. Um, I think if those two are in the lineup in Tanjulig's top three, that means this team is awesome. I still think they're going to be awesome no matter what. But NCAA semifinal is my pick. Final words go to you. Yeah, I have them in the semifinals as well. Um, to me, it's anywhere between a quarterfinal and a final um, uh, in terms of of where they could end up on the national stage. So semifinal feels like uh, the right place. That would be the three straight semifinals, uh, 2019, 2021, and 2022. Um, but look, we saw how the draws played out this season. We talked about this on a few of the other pods of just – draw gods um look i mean that could play out right i mean we're talking about a handful of teams here um so uh, we'll see unc got the short end of the stick i think um they might want to have played texas in the semifinal instead um but yeah i think they uh, end the season in the semifinal that's what's going to make this seating so important because can yep. you who matches up with who in the semifinals because again exactly. if whoever the team to avoid unc texas or pepperdine you don't want to be the two of the three matching up right. which is how we predict things going that's the team you want to be and if unc wins that national indoors they're very likely the one seed jay yep. and if they're the one seed you're probably avoiding the other two so I think in your model, you take this team to go to the final, but watching that seating is going to be so critical. With all of that said, always a pleasure to watch Coach Calvis's Tar Heels compete. They are our preseason number three team. With that in mind, give me your men's preseason number three. Who you got, Jay? I thought a lot about this. <laughs> um, oh and, I mean, the margins are just so thin between these these three teams. And this is where you really have to just start comparing the teams directly. Um, I know there's a lot of love for Baylor on this podcast, um, but I have them at number three. Will it shock you to learn they are also our men's number three team? Indeed, they are. Because here's the here's the thing, though, and we'll get into this argument with Matt and Chris, so you can go listen to that podcast here on the Great Shot Podcast feed. Read about them over on our uh, Crack Rackets website. I actually wrote something about the Baylor men's tennis team, and by the time this podcast is released, that will be out as well. So it turns out the fingers still do work. Why we have Tennessee ranked over Baylor, and it's really stupid, but again, the margins are this thin, is Tennessee doesn't fear Florida. 
And I'm not saying Baylor does, but a Tennessee believes in their bones. Walton, Prada, you know, though Monday, they've already beaten uh, Florida. They beat them at the SEC tournament. Those are their equals. They are not the defending NCAA champions. Those are their rival Florida. As talented as this Baylor team is, as experienced as Boitan, Soto, La are, they just haven't beaten Florida the way Tennessee has beaten Florida. And it's just like that is fundamentally for Tennessee to bring in Bicknell, to bring in Mitsui. Like they've got a ton of options depth-wise also, but you feel more confident in the six that they're playing. Like you know you everyone but Mitsui you've seen in college tennis before. Yep. The difference for Baylor, as good as Brum and all of these guys, you know, Parallax, all of these guys at the bottom of the lineup are on paper, it's still more papery than the tangible quality of Tennessee. So that's why we have them three. That's the crystallization of our argument. You don't have to listen to the pod now. Um, but curious if, if that's similar thinking for you. Well, I didn't have the the, the who has the fear of Florida in them more, the Tennessee yeah, or Baylor. Yeah, you like that? You <laughs> that, like that? that? That didn't come into my calculation. Um, for me, it was uh, looking at Tennessee versus Baylor. I think there's some clear spots in the match calculus that I prefer Tennessee, and that's doubles and number two singles. Given how thin these margins are between these teams, they're then asking Baylor to essentially – uh, run the tables in, in singles and exactly what you were saying around paper versus known quantity. I look at Tennessee six, particularly what they're going to field at three through six. Those are all known quantities to me. So sitting here today versus the Baylor, I don't know. Right. And it could very well be that these, um, I mean, Finn Bass has had an excellent summer and fall. Paralek has had a good, uh, good fall i mean they're all good players right but we've seen more of the tennessee six than we've seen of the baylor six um and so that's why i lean tennessee over baylor 100 percent, mizuchi all of those guys they're good there's no yeah. doubt about it they're good we know how good tennessee is so yeah. we're aligned once again jay you are part of our cracked rackets thought bubble with all of that said if you've missed any of our college contender series you can catch up on it all on our website crackrackets.com all of our podcast conversations breaking down the teams found here on the great shot podcast feeds coaching interviews available on our cracked interviews podcast feed again you can read more from john you can read more from matt sikoyak on our website crackrackets.com with all of that said a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westhoff for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. You're looking for the more immediate updates, you know the deal. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly. I am at A.L. Gruskin. You want to message Jay directly. He's at JTweetsTennis. Do you want to hear the story of at A.L. Gruskin? I feel like I've made it pretty clear. It's just because I'm sick of people bothering me. Uh, well, sick by people, you mean Ben Rothenberg. Uh, and my yeah. brother. I, ben takes the brunt of it, but every time. I mean, Dalton – so Dalton gave up is the truth. I was just like, you know, this is not the droids you're looking for. This is not the fight. <laughs> I think that's what he figured out. It's just like whatever, Gruskin's going to Gruskin. But it's honestly my older brother just every time. It's like, well, why are you are, – is Great Shot Pot a person? Like, no. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a persona. It's like it's, it's cool. It's hip, Eric. And he was like, no, it's not. Change it. And I was like, all right, I will. Uh, but yeah, so I, yes, Ben as well, by the way, though. he The difference is Ben nagged, my older brother directed. Mm. Well, I, I was very surprised when I saw it in my feed. At first, I thought it was <laughs> an imposter. Um, and uh, no, I mean, it was, it's a little sad seeing the past tweets with just like the at great shot pod and it's all gray and you can't click on it. And, yeah, no. So it's a little sad. It had a good run. Um, but I, I understand the change. 
you know yeah. I, you know i've i've rebirthed as well so i understand yeah it was just time it was time yep. for the rebrand i'm sad that my one of my first videos posted with it is me in a georgia tennis shirt i'm like how did i allow this to happen to myself but i'm telling you that's the most behaved our dog has ever been so shout out to quavo for helping make that video <laughs> so exceptional with all of that said four my fantastic guest, John Parsons, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>